Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us here for another episode, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for listening and for continuing to spread the word about this podcast to others. Uh, We are approaching the one-year mark, and we're very grateful for all of your guys' continued support. Thank you so much. Uh, Today's topic is going to be about getting good players to become great players. I know so often we focus on trying to get our players to the point where they're good, And I've heard a lot of coaches even say that the transition from getting a player from average to good is so much easier than trying to get a player from good to great. So today, that's what we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss how to get that good player to be even greater. Uh, We're going to approach this from both a physical uh, basketball, sort of that X's and O's standpoint, and also the mental standpoint to hopefully help you take your good player that you currently have and get them up to that next level. To help share their insight on this topic, I'm very happy to be joined today by Associate Head Boys Basketball Coach at Fairfield Prep. Coach Garrett Hickey is joining us today. Coach, thank you so much. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm happy to jump on. I'm excited to talk some basketball and and talk some hoops. So thanks again. Awesome. Excited to have you here, Coach. Let's go ahead and get started with your basketball journey and your coaching journey. Where's the game taking you? And what have been the kind of steps steps along the way uh, on the way to Fairfield? Sure, sure. So uh, I, I by no means was a very good basketball player growing up. I, I played at the JV level in high school, and that's as far as I got. Um, and I always had kind of a love for the game. Um, and, you know, I went to college, did undergrad. And, and when I graduated from college, my mom was a principal and her school needed a volunteer coach for the basketball team. So you know, I was home, I wasn't doing anything. So I figured I would, you know, help my mom out and do that. And I kind of fell in love with it then. Um, and so when I went to get my master's uh, in education, I was working at a middle school here in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And the uh, basketball coach there was actually a, a former division two head coach. And he did a really great thing with the kids. Uh, his name was Larry Menta. He coached at Southern Connecticut for a while, but there was a middle school schedule where we played like 70 games. We made sure those kids were off the streets on the weekends and we drove them all these different places. And it, I, I learned a lot, obviously, from the X's and O's standpoint of basketball, but I think I learned a, a ton more just about like the dedication and like the love that you have to have like for players. And if you have that, like the bond and the relationship that you get. Um, and, and it was, it was awesome. And a lot of those kids now are a couple of them are, are playing in college, which is really cool to, to kind of watch their journey go. And uh, from there, I was just really lucky that uh, at the same school, there was an assistant coach at the high school level who allowed me to kind of just jump in and, and help out with their practices and things like that. And uh, I got even more lucky at the end of that season because um, the head coach at Albertus Madness was recruiting one of the uh, seniors um at the high school that I was helping out at. And that summer, uh, one of his assistant spots opened up and I just obviously met him through, uh, you know, him coming to watch the the player play. And um, 
you know, I, I applied to that position. And that's how I ended up at Alberta's Madness, which is a, it's a D3 school in New Haven, Connecticut. It's, it's one of the top D3 programs in the country. Um, when I was going in, they, they had won multiple conference champions, championships. And um, they, they had the, at the time that I went in, I think they had the longest home winning streak in NCAA uh, basketball throughout the divisions. So I was just really lucky that I, I got to, you know, experience that as a, a new coach. And I was there for um, for two years. We won a GNAC championship, which was an awesome experience. And uh, from there, I, I live in Fairfield, Connecticut. So the uh, job opened up at Fairfield Prep, which is, which is a great school in Connecticut. It's in Division One for basketball. And I, I made the jump down there. And that's where I've been for the last four years now. So. That's kind of my journey. Yeah. Awesome. And and let me ask you about that transition from going uh, from the D3 school that you were at and now going, you know, kind of back to the high school ranks when you did that a few years ago. Was it was that a difficult transition? Was that easy transition? What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was it was difficult, but it, it's definitely it's different when especially at the D3 level, when you when you have players, they're making the choice and the decision to go to school and play basketball. Mm-hmm. where in high school, you know, kids, you know, not that they don't take it seriously, but some kids are playing sports because that's their social experience during their high school career. And so uh, I think if anything, it was just making the adjustment of like, there were going to be some kids who may, might not take it as seriously as kids in college did. So I think that was kind of the only adjustment. Um, but other than that, I, I you know, I, I'm big on coaching is all about relationships. And so mm-hmm having relationships with, you know, your, your players in college level at the high school level, it was kind of all the same. The conversations were a little different just because the kids were a little bit more mature um, at the college level. But I, I, for that, it really wasn't that much of an adjustment. And um, I, I always, I, I kid, you know, because I think that it's for some reason or whatever it is, you know, you, you show up and, and someone says, Oh, here's coach Hickey. He was, he coached in college and like, you know, 15 year old kids are like, Whoa, (laughs) like they don't, they, they just don't like, they don't realize, you know, it's, it's a, it is, it is a big deal, but they don't realize, you know, that there are like how many schools are out there and how many people are (laughs) actually college coaches. You know, I think that the, the, the minute they hear, Oh, college coach there, you know, especially in Connecticut, Oh, UConn. It's like, no, you know, we're, (laughs) there's other schools out there and, and there's other divisions and there's, you know, opportunities because, yeah. you know, I, 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 by no means, I, I told my kids all the time, I by no means was a, was qualified when, when I was given my chance to coach at the college level. And I think that like players need to understand that, you know, that they might not be confident in, in where they are, but that they, they can, you know, they can play. There's spots out there if they want to play basketball. Yeah. And that, that translates with playing and with, with coaching as well. It sounds like good advice. Like you may get that position open to you and you might not feel like ready for it, but sometimes you almost never feel ready for it. And you almost have to like kind of jump in and just see what happens. And a lot of good things can come from that for sure. So no, that's awesome. Um, Besides coaching. Uh, I know that you have some other things that you're involved in too. So before we get into our topic, there's a couple other things I wanted to ask you about that I saw on your uh, Twitter byline there. Um, I wanted you to spend some time talking about Fast Mod Model and being the founder of, I saw this hashtag, it was called Share the Game. So can you speak about the contributions that you make and what Fast Model is? And then also what is Share the Game as well? Sure. Yeah. So, so Fast Model is, is a great um, 
program that's that's out there that it just it allows you to to organize all of your you know your personal plays that you might have for your program um it, it's also a great way when if you have an account with fast model that you can kind of just share um plays among other coaches who have the the same accounts that are out there um you know so being a fast model contributor it basically just means that i you know if during the NCAA tournament, we were, you know, drawing plays up live and, and posting it on Twitter and then also on the Fast Model website. And then that way coaches can go in afterwards and they can add plays to their play library. Um, but before I had Fast Model, I, I was, you know, my wife would yell at me because there'd be like pieces of paper all over the place that had like plays drawn up on it. And there was not a lot of organization to it. Um, it was just kind of a bunch of pieces of paper. And then when I, um, you know, when I got fast model, I was able to put it all, it's all in one little library on the app, on my computer. Um, so it's just, it's a great, it's a great thing for me to, to stay organized, but it's also, I think a very great, a very good way to collaborate with other coaches who are out there um, because you can send plays right in the app. You can send it uh, to people and the, the app that's on the iPad, it, it allows you to draw plays up very quickly. Um, I use it all the time to live, live scout games. Um, for our opponents, like in high school, I'll, I'll watch, yeah. you know, a game I'll have there and, and be able to draw it up. And I, th I, for me personally, you know, uh, drawing up plays like pen and pencil, if you make a mistake, then you, you know, you got to go back or cross it out and then you got to yeah. try to remember what you saw. And so having it right in front of you and being able to do it very easily is awesome. Um, and so I'm a big, you know, big believer in them and a big supporter of them. And, and then something that more recently that happened for me is just during quarantine I think everyone was just trying to find something to stay busy um and so I uh I started this you know my, my biggest thing is I, I wanted to you know learn from other coaches and I wanted other coaches to be able to like see some of the stuff that I had um and so I just kind of started this hashtag on Twitter um share the game and then I started my own blog and the blog is by no means like a soapbox blog like I don't write my opinions on there about anything um, it's a way for me to share some of the drills that I have or the X's and O's that I have, mm -hmm. or some of the philosophies that I've, I've come kind of to put together along the way. And, and I'm, my biggest thing is always just asking for other people's opinions, um, and other people's, you know, perspective on some of the stuff that I have. And so like just recently last week, I, I finished up my, you know, tweaking a little bit of my coaching portfolio and I sent it out to like over 285 coaches who wanted to look at it and I got a bunch of emails back from other people's portfolios and I've been you know there's like four or five people who I've been kind of collaborating back and forth with via email just about our portfolios and that's pretty much all it is it's just it's a way for coaches to connect um, and, and I think that that's one of the positive things that came out of you know quarantine and being at home during this COVID thing is mm -hmm. uh the basketball coaching community on social media everywhere is, is just, it's strong. People are willing to like jump on a phone call and just talk to you for 30 minutes or jump on, you know, shoot someone an email and they'll respond. And you don't necessarily like beforehand, I never would have thought that, but there was like a couple of times during COVID that, um, you know, I, I was at a, on a clinic online and there was a D one coach and they said, here's my email, you know, shoot me a question or anything you have. Um, and we can talk about it. And like, I tried it and I would get like a response back. And I was like, wow, I was like, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. This was actually something that like people could do. And so, uh, 
so yeah, so I just, I started that. It's, it's, it's great. I'm trying to, to build it as much as possible. And, and my biggest thing is like, everything's free. It's not anything I'm trying to make money off of or, or anything like that. It's just being able to share stuff. And, and because everybody has valuable things and things that they could bring mm-hmm. to the table or a different perspective. And I think it's really important to have a space where all that can kind of come together. And I know speaking from a personal standpoint, and I'm sure there's other coaches listening who agree, I get so much out of just having conversations with people and being able to just discuss the game with an actual person, whether it's virtual or in person. And I think that there's so much out there, and you know this too, there's so much out there of like videos and, and clinics and all these other things that, that kind of lack that like personal connection. And it's no fault of anybody. That's just how they're designed. And I think it's just so important to, you know, have somebody that you can shoot an email to or somebody who you can just correspond with. And I'm sure it's just helping make coaches just that much better. And, and I really like that too. And I also really like that where we seem to have really, really moved past, you know, coaches like keeping all their secrets to themselves or not wanting to get it out there. I feel like now more than ever, coaches are more willing to just share stuff. Like they have nothing to hide. They just want the game to get better. And I think that that's awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, I think especially now with technology, it's, you know, you can, if you have a Synergy account, you can watch every single basketball game that happens like in the NCAA for men's and women. So Mm -hmm. it's not like you're going to hide any of your secret plays, like you can go out there and find them. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. that's great. And, and, and I definitely, I love the fact that uh, at least from, from my perspective, it, it, during COVID, it was, it was great to have like actual conversation, like not text, not eat, like having yeah. a conversation like you and I are having right now, uh, because I think with technology and the way the world is so busy, you know, we kind of lose sight of, of having those conversations and, and being able to like actually listen to someone and, and, you know, be a sponge and soak up all the knowledge that they have. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you there. Absolutely. Uh, so with our topic about getting good players to be great players, uh, let's kind of start with what your definition is coach of that. So if you were to look on the court and you would say, all right, that player's a good player, but that player right there, that is a great player in your mind. Where's the distinction? What's the difference between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, um, it's definitely, for, for me, the the biggest thing is, like, I think the word great gets used a lot, um, and sometimes it's, like, overused, and I think that's no, you know, no fault from anybody else, but, so for me, it's, like, if we're going to overuse it and not limit, like, it to, like, players who actually are, like, great, like, LeBron James, great, right? Like, you, if you call LeBron James great, and then you go walk into an AAU tournament, and you call an eighth grader great, you're kind of diminishing the word of great, right? So for me, it's, it's very important to, to understand that like every individual person has like their level of like great. And so, you know, people are, there's good and there's great for individual players and, and they, in order to get there, it, it's a lot of the onus has to be on like them. And so if I walked into a gym and like, I'm like, oh, that player's great. It basically, for me, it's like, it's, I guess it's the cliche intangibles that they, they have. Like they're, if they're not playing and they're on the bench, they're engaged and they're being a cheerleader for their teammates. Or if they're on the floor, you know, they can just, they make the plays that like other kids aren't making, right? So it's not like, oh, that kid just went five for eight from three point line. All right. It's like, you know, 
instead of trying to go one-on-one, it's making like all the correct passes and on defense. It's like making the right rotations or beating guys to spots or communicating with them. So it's the things that I would say don't come natural. Like if you just roll the ball out in the court um, and said, play pickup, the majority of the kids who are playing wouldn't be doing that, that stuff. I think those are in the great category and the good stuff is, is, you know, the the stuff that you would kind of see in that in that pickup atmosphere or, or something like that. And so when we're thinking about you know things that don't come natural as a coach, are you going to maybe like tell all of your players like, hey, like you know all of you have the ability to you know do X, Y, and Z um, to get yourself to that next level? Do you, are there some players who you think are maybe more ready to make that step or players you think like you're not ready to even be like thinking about that stuff yet. Cause we got to get you at a certain level. How do you decide like who is ready to really hear that message of like, all right, here's what we're going to do to get you to become great. Yeah. I, I think it, that's a good distinction to make. I think as coaches, one of the biggest mistakes that we make is, is kind of lumping your whole team together and thinking that all 15 or 17 kids on the team can do the same thing that you're working on. Um, I think it's really important as coaches to understand that there are kids who are going to be more naturally talented or naturally gifted in their athleticism or their basketball IQ just from their experience. And so there might be maybe just two kids on your team who can really do, you know, one thing really well, you know, and, and maybe not, it's not for everybody else. And so that's my biggest thing is understanding, all right, you know, Johnny over there is 100% our most talented kid. He's our most athletic kid. His level of greatness is probably the highest on the team. Like his, his ability or where he can get to as a player while he's in our program is like the highest. And so you have to recognize that. And then you have to push that individual kid to that mark, but you can't take the number 17 guy on the roster who, and say he is, should get to the same spot as Johnny because that's not fair to either of those two, two, two guys. So there's nothing wrong with looking at, you know, the number 15 player on the team and saying, all right, his level of greatness, if we could get, you know, when he, by the time he's a junior or a senior, if we could get five to seven minutes of like solid defense, doesn't turn the ball over, um, you know, is a leader on the floor. If we can get him there in our program, that's his level of greatness. He'd be a great player for us. And then, you know, Johnny, who's the best kid, Johnny, we need Johnny. His level of greatness needs to be, okay, he needs to score 18 to 22 points a game. He needs to try and get, you know, double-digit boards. He needs to distribute the ball and get, you know, six to seven assists a game if he can. So it's, it's understanding that you can have different levels and still, you know, say, like, that kid's great. I think we tend to ignore those other kids and be like, oh, that kid's not that good, like, He's only going to give us five minutes. Like, let's turn that into a positive. Let's say, hey, if he can get us five minutes, that's great for us and that's great for him. And I think that's a really important thing. It's something that – and I'm not perfect. Like, it's hard to do because you, you, you have a level and you want to give everyone and want to have high expectations for everybody. But I think, for me, the biggest mistake that I make sometimes is, you know, I'll get just as frustrated at the best player on the team and I'll get just frustrated for the same mistake that that kid made than, you know, the number 15 kid on the team. And maybe the number 15 on the kid just isn't there yet. He can't make that play. And me getting frustrated at the kid is just making the kid more frustrated all along. 
Yeah, it's it's tricky for me too when I see, you know, certain mistakes made by players on my team and it's hard to, you know, take a step back and think like, okay, is that is that a mistake that, you know, I, I can live with because of where they're at versus like where my expectations are for another player. So no, I don't think you're alone in that. that that's real tricky waters to navigate for sure. Um, and are you having conversations with your players about that? Like at the beginning of the season saying like, Hey, this is where I see where you're at. And this is where you need to be in order to become great. Even if it is just five minutes of playing time, or how do you kind of let players know almost like where they should be aiming to get to? Yeah. I mean, it's probably the hardest conversation that you have to have with, with the kid, but I think it's also the most important and the most valuable. Um, you know, my, my biggest thing, it, it's, it's, it's like, especially that like sophomore to junior, junior to senior jump when, when they're, it's like they show up to tryouts and they went from playing maybe two or three minutes. And now all of a sudden they think, okay, I should be starting or getting like, you know, probably close to like playing the whole game or whatever. And they don't realize that like, you can't just make that jump. Like, that doesn't, it doesn't just happen. And it's like, and especially game from game, it's your they a lot of times players put so much pressure on themselves because maybe like game one they'll go in and they'll play two minutes mm -hmm. and it's like and they get so down on themselves because I only played two minutes it's like no, no no what did you do like within the two minutes I know you're not happy like we don't have to be happy that you only that you played two minutes and it's not natural to be happy only playing two minutes everyone wants to play but it's like you need to have the right mindset and go forward and say okay what did you do in the next in those two minutes what could you have done better mm -hmm. and then I, what the biggest thing i think is and the part of the conversation that gets missed a lot is game number two you're not going to walk into the gym and now all of a sudden play 28 minutes like nothing it's never going to happen unless the, you know what i mean like unless yeah. the whole team four guys and the three guys that come off the bench all get injured in layup lines. You're not going to go from playing two minutes to 28 minutes. So it's have, I, I say it all the time to the kids. It's like you played two, maybe next game, shoot for four, four minutes, four or five minutes. All right. And I was like, would you be happy if you doubled your playing time in the next game? And they'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, I really, I don't want to play just four. It's like, no, no, you have no control. Like if you could possibly double your playing time, and get to four minutes, you have more opportunities to show what you can do. You have more opportunities to, you know, contribute to the team. And so I think that's like the biggest thing is, is having the conversation with them and then making them realize that in no world is, are you just going to jump into having the minutes that you want or you think you deserve, even if you might deserve it and you might, you know, go be, you know, going against what the coach is thinking oh, I should be playing 12 to 15 well that's great but at the end of the day you thinking that you should play doesn't do anything and so yeah. it's like what are we going to do about it and then what mindset are we going to take to try and like improve it you just reminded me of uh, a coach who I know who he would purposely use the time um, you would say instead of playing time you'd always call it playing opportunities telling his players like, all right, you got like four minutes of playing opportunities. Like, what are you going to do with those opportunities that you have on the court? And that kind of like ties in exactly with what you said, like, like two minutes, it's like, there's, you know, two minutes that those, those are important. <laughs> every minute counts, every second counts. And 
uh, making the most of that. And and I 100% agree with what you said about, you know, players sometimes can think that <laughs> that transition from game one to game two, you know, they're going to play like all this, all this much more. You know, we talk about how players, you know, they improve and they think they should get more playing time, right? But then the other players are also improving. So <laughs> you kind of have that balancing act, right. right? Where their players are getting, everyone should be getting better. So, you know. Yeah. And one, one of the things that – and we we tried it out this year for with a program. But, like, so I, I'm also – I do the JV team as well. I, I'm mm-hmm. the head coach for the JV team. And so one thing – we had a really talented group of kids. We had 14 kids on the JV team. And one of the things we did the first six or seven games, I told everyone day one to practice. I was like, everyone is going to get the exact same minutes. It doesn't matter if you're the best player on the JV team or if you're number 14. We're just – we're doing two teams of seven – this team plays the first quarter, this team plays the second, this team plays the third, this team plays the fourth. I don't care about my JV record. It doesn't matter. I was like, let's improve as like players and as team. And yep. and we did that and and it was I, I liked it. I mean, it definitely was a little tough because you want your, you know, best players out there when, you know, you're trying to win the game and stuff. But I think it, it definitely showed me a little bit of like the players buying in more when they realize that they are going to get the minutes where they're not wondering like, Oh, am I going to play? Am I not going to play tonight? It's like, no, I'm playing. So I have to be locked in. I have to focus in practice. Yeah. I have to know what's going on because I'm going to get the opportunity. So there's definitely something to it. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. I, I like that. And, and I always like hearing when freshmen or JV coaches value the development of players more than, you know, we're trying to win by any means necessary. I, I think that's super important as well. Um, let's talk about your, like your best players. So you have that best player and they, they need to, you know, move up to their, whatever their level is of greatness. And, and one of the things we know that can be a little difficult with that is that their expectations are going to be at a, at a higher level than anyone else. They're going to be expected to do things that, you know, other players aren't going to do. So when you have that player who is like maybe your standout best player, what are some things that you would expect for that particular player that they would need to do and hold themselves accountable to take their game to whatever their ceiling of greatness is going to be? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, I, I think number one, the, the, the biggest thing, at least in my experience, is, is getting them to focus on defense. You know, that you were talking earlier about coming, you know, from college to high school and, and kids mm-hmm. don't realize how many, there are so many kids in the country that score 25 points a game in high school. Like, like, so you going out there and scoring 25 points a game, just because the local newspaper is writing you up and just because you're kind of blowing up locally and, and people are talking about you, it doesn't really mean that like there's something separating you from the other kid that's in the next state over. And so for me, I think the, the greatest player on your team, meaning the, the, the kid who maybe scores the most points or the more, they have to be the best defender on your team. I don't care if you play a zone. I don't care if you play a man. They have to be the best defender. They have to be able to guard, and they have to be able to be a smart defender and learn that. Because if they're not, they're not going to have any chance of playing at the next level because they're going to walk in and be in a gym full of other kids who scored 20 points. And if they can't guard, they're not going to play. So for that's for me, it's like making sure that they buy in defensively. And, and, and these days with how middle school programs and AAU is run and stuff like that, that they've most likely when they come in as a 13, 14 year old, um, you know, they might not have played man very much or maybe not even at all. And so and for us at, at prep, we play man to man. Like we'll wrinkle in zone, but 
we play man-to-man. And so man-to-man defense is the first focus. And then the second thing is like all the other stuff besides points. I think I, I just, I, I think there's too much of an emphasis, especially on kids about like the points and I get it. You know, you score points. That's how you kind of get recognized as, as a player and, and stuff like that. And that's what goes on your highlight reel. Like no one's getting chart. their charges or their, Right, right. And so I, I think defensively it, it, it's big. And then I think the other thing is like they need they need to be able to like to be a leader, but find out how to be a leader in their own way. You know, um, it, it's it doesn't need to be a vocal. You, if you're not a vocal kid, then don't try to be you don't have to try to be a vocal leader, but you need to find out how to be a leader in some way, because if you're going to play at the next level, you need to have some sort of leadership style or at least know what you're comfortable doing and not doing as a leader so that you're able to move on like to the next level and, and advance and like grow as a player and as a person, because sure. the ball starts, stops bouncing at some point for everybody. And, and you need to kind of use athletics and use sports and use basketball as a way to figure out, okay, this is like kind of who I'm growing into, who I'm maturing into as a young man or a young woman. And, and that's kind of the most important thing. Okay, so I've had a couple guests on before talking about defense, and I'm, I'm curious because you brought that up about going from like good to great about, especially on the defensive end. In your experience, how much of that um, for a player to get better, how much of it is just like mentally just like locking in where like they know what they need to do, they just actually got to like commit themselves to doing it versus the whole they maybe have done is played zone or they, they are literally lacking the skills and need to be taught the skills of how to be a good defender. In, in your experience, what have, what have you kind of figured out in regards to that? Yeah, I'm going to cheat when I answer this question. I'm going to say both. For it. All right. Oh, <laughs> because, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, I think it's definitely a mixture. So obviously if a kid has gone through, you know, the grassroots program and they arrive as a freshman and they've really never played man-to-man defense, then you can't expect them to know how to play man-to-man defense the proper way. And so you're going to have to teach it. Um, but it's also, I think, our jobs as coaches, I, we, we definitely, we just, we talk too much. We do too much talking during practice. We do too much stopping during practice. We want to correct like every little thing. I do it all the time and I'm constantly trying to get better at it. But I think we need to allow them to make mistakes. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with like the grassroots program is that, you know, it, it's either, you know, volunteer coaches who are, you know, they stop every time there's a mistake or they don't want anybody to make mistakes. So that's why they sit in the zone. All right, let's sit in a two, three zone because I don't want to try and, you know, teach man to man defense. And in that way, you know, that we can kind of just focus on trying to win and stuff like that. And that's fine. But I think that that, you know, hinders the, the development and the growth of players once they get to, to the, our level. We can't do anything about that unless you start coaching at that level. So for me, once they get to us, I think it's really important if, you, if you're a man-to-man coach is you have to put an emphasis on that. You have to build skills and, or drills, excuse me, that are going to build the type of defense that you want. And then when you're doing that, you have to allow for actual learning and for failure because that's the only thing. If I – if we went on a court right now and you gave me 30 minutes to teach man-to-man defense and I stopped, we'd set up one drill and I stopped the drill every time someone made a mistake on defense. 
I would literally, the kids would be playing for probably two and a half minutes. Right. Yeah. And that's the mistake we made. Nobody learned anything. All I did was just spew stuff at the kids. The kids probably heard me if they're, you know, if they're somebody who's an audible learner, then they'll learn, you know, they'll, they'll maybe soak it in. If there's someone who's visual, they probably were thinking about 10 other things than whatever I was saying. So for me, it's, you get 30 minutes in the gym, you should be talking for like 90 seconds and you need to understand, you need to let the kids make mistakes, get scored up. That's the best teacher. You yeah. want to get better at defense, get scored on and keep getting scored on. Then you're going to, then you're going to learn. And sure. obviously, you know, it, that's a drastic example, but I think for me, like I use this, I, I kind of, I think we all use it, but I, it's, I use this, um, it's like fixed guide or follow method in my practice. And when I make practice plans, like all of my drills are labeled as those three things. Um, and it just helps me with that idea. Like if there's a drill where it's labeled as fix, it means that we can stop and we can fix it. And we, we want to make sure that we correct errors. And that's usually saved for like new drills that we haven't done before or new concepts that we haven't worked on before. Then the guide, the stuff that's labeled as guide, it, it means that we want to, you know, I'll, if it's a 12 minute drill, I'll literally write in the practice plan, you're on, you can only stop it four times. So you got to, you better pick, pick your four opportunities to stop and teach it when you can, but you're only doing it four times and then you're letting them play the rest of it out. And then the follow one is, is you're not allowed. I'm not, I don't stop it at all. It's, mm -hmm. it's player coach. So they, if, if there's a mistake, the players have to recognize the mistake and they have to fix it. And I think it, that does, that has a tangible relationship with getting a player from that good to great because they have to do it themselves. That's how learning is done. It's not done by us as coaches stopping them and telling them what to do. Obviously, that would help using film and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if they want to get to the great part, they need to be able to self-correct and self-regulate and, and do it themselves on their own. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things I know I am still like learning and going through as a coach is that sort of release and letting them self-correct you're letting them kind of struggle a little bit as well um i know i've had conversations before in previous episodes about coaches who you know have, have had to work on that as well because you know you have that perfect practice everything looks great everything looks smooth so you think you're doing a really good job but if players aren't making mistakes then i don't know how much learning is sometimes happening you know you want them to make mistakes but also at the same time like you said you don't necessarily want to keep stopping them all the time because uh, how much actual experience are they getting at that point? So um, I, I totally understand that. And you talked about the self-correction part is, is a really great way. And I agree of getting a player to be good from good to great. Are there any particular like drills that, that you also like or drills that you think are really good ones to kind of get your players, even if they're struggling through them to kind of push them to get to that next level? Yeah. I, I mean, I, don't, I, there might not necessarily be any, any drills like specific drills that would do it. I think it's the way that you approach the drills that you implement in your practices. So if you make like for me, and this is just my personal, uh, you know, my personal opinion, but besides some of the, the warm up stuff that I would do at a practice, like, or besides maybe some of the skill development, if that's what we're doing in that practice, every single thing that we do is a competition and, we keep score and it's not just, it's not basketball score. We're like, all right, the, every time the ball goes in the hoop, it's a point. It's out. We put different points on different situations. Like, so if you score, it's a point, but if you hit, 
you know, if we're trying, if we're working on our, our, our pick and roll and, and lift in, in practice, what I'll do is I'll, and I'll say, listen, it's, it's a point if we score off the pick and roll, that's great. But mm-hmm. if we're trying to hit the lift guy behind it, it's three points. If we get that, a score off that, if we make the right read, or it's two points, if we hit the roll guy and make the right read. And so now they're like in their head, they're strategically say, okay, we're trying to hit this guy. Or we're trying to hit the lift guy, but if it's not open, we can still, you know, score and make the point. Uh, we'll do the same thing on defense. So I'll, I'll do charges or, or two points, but it will be um, like if, if you, if it's a correct rotation and a strong closeout and we don't give up an open three, it's a point. So mm-hmm. now like it's like they're, yeah. And so, so what it, in my, I think, and, and this is, I just kind of started re- doing it like recently, um, yeah. but it, it's, I think what it does is, it alleviates me from, from having to stop and coach because what will happen is, um, you know, the, we'll do the pick and roll and the guy who lifts was open and the kid takes a, uh, a jump shot instead. And the kid who lifted goes over to the kid who, the kid who came off the pick and goes, Hey, I was, I'm the lift guy. I was wide open. We could have had three points right there. Well, now all of a sudden I didn't stop it. They just coached each other and they're the ones who are going to be out there in the game anyway. So now they've just done, they've communicated with one another and hopefully now the next time, because another kid said it, they'll be able to do that. And it's the same thing on defense. They'll, you know, if we'll, if we're working on screen coverage, we'll say, all right, we're going to work on, you know, these two, these two things. And if you do this, it's one point. If you do this, it's one point. But if you do the other thing, you're getting minus a point. So if you switch when we're not switching, it's minus a point. All right. And, and then so what they'll do is if they lose the point after the possession, Right, they huddle up and they'll say, "Hey, we're not supposed to switch. You just lost a point because we switched." So it's kind of a way for them to like self-correct each other and and still make it like into a competition where they're really engaged. Well, one of the things too that I think really is helpful with that is that it helps them keep track of like all of the all of the things that they're they're trying to work on or trying to accomplish because then like they they recall all the things about switching on screens or all the different things that they need to be doing and they understand that okay, here is the, the positive outcome from this, or here is the negative outcome by not doing it. So in a way, it also seems like all the players have to kind of know all of those situations that, that involve, you know, points in some way. And there's a lot of self-correction and I'm sure your players are really competitive and, and they can sort of get after it and get after each other. And for you, like, you can just sort of watch it unfold and you don't have to really stop practice that much, right? Right. No, yeah, I think it's it's good. And, and you can use it. I've used it for like the most minute things in the world. Like we, we were doing just the other day in, in AAU practice, we were doing, we we're working on like our, uh, our screens and, and our pick and roll game. And the one thing that the kids don't do a, a really good job of like anyone, whether it's my most skilled to my least skilled is we don't set the pick and roll up the right way. We don't get on level. We don't come up, we don't set it up. And so one of the things I got from a coaching buddy of mine this summer is, is set up the screen by either, you know, dribbling away from it, making a pass fake away from it. So you set your defender up and then go off of it. So what we did was we, we did a small sided game three on three. And if you, you got a point, if you set the screen up the right way, you got a point if you came off of it and made the right read. And then we wanted to still hit the lift guy because we struggled with that. So if you hit the lift guy and got a three off of it, you got three points. So instead of just scoring one point, you could come out of a possession and have five points just from doing, and and they're like, let's go. Like they get pumped when they get it. And then the next person in line 
they're like, oh, I got to make sure I set the screen up because I want to get my, I, I want to at least get that one point for my team. And so it kind of gets them to like, it, they start like self-reminding almost when, when they're in the drill. Like, hey, make sure you set the screen up, make, set the screen up, set the screen up. Or, or if it's on defense, they'll start talking to each other. So it's great. It, I think it's really cool. No, I, no, I think I think that's great, and and we always talk about, of course, you know, players not not talking enough. We always want them talking more on the court, so it seems to be you know a great way for for that to take place and and just them staying engaged. I think that that's awesome. That's really good stuff there. Um, I know we've had experiences like this a lot with with players who will come to us and say like, Coach, what can I do to get better? Like, Coach, what do I need to work on? What do I need to do? Um, when you when you hear a player say that, what are some things that you think players should be doing or coaches should be telling players that they need to be working on on their own individually in order for them to, to reach their next level of greatness? Yeah, I mean, I, I always joke that the first thing I always say when a kid asks me, I just say play. <laughs> like, I was like, God forbid you go to the local park and play pickup for like three hours on a Saturday. I was like, you just got better from just playing. But um, you know, I, I think the, the number one thing, you know, it, it's great to, you know, get shots up on a machine. It's great to work with a trainer one-on-one. Like I do that. I, I work with kids one-on-one and I think that's, that's a great opportunity, but I really think in order for there to be some tangible like growth and for it to be worth the money of, of parents out there, I, I, I always tell them like find a camp, not the camp that has 300 kids in it and you're not going to get many reps and you're just going to kind of play pickup. Like those are fun, but you should do those with your friends. Find a camp that does one coach, six players, two hours during the summer for a week. I was like, you'll get the most out of your, A, you know, money's big. You know, everyone wants to make sure they get, um, you know, their money's worth with stuff like that. I think that's the best possible way because you get the maximum amount of reps. Six players allows you to, to go one, you know, work your way through one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. Um, and, you know, because shooting on a gun is great, but it's not game reps. Working with a trainer one-on-one is great. But again, unless your trainer's defending you and really playing defense, you're not learning the reaction of the game. And you're not, you know, that mental part, uh, like the muscle memory and making reads and making mistakes and reading it, you're not getting that if you're going one-on-o or two-on-o. So for me, I think... Um, that's something our program does a really good job at with AAU, like our summer camps. We used to have like the big summer camps, but again, COVID kind of woke it up. We couldn't have that many kids last summer. And we started mm-hmm. having these camps with just three kids in the gym. And we would be looking at each other like, this is great. Like these kids are, are getting a bunch of shots up. They're playing. They, and we ended the day with like, you know, a competition and games and stuff. And it, it's, it was awesome. It's valuable. So for me, it's like trying to find something like that. And, uh, and then, you know, it, everyone has three or four friends that they can just pick up the phone and say, hey, it's the summer, it's a Tuesday, it's nice out, let's go to the park and just play. Um, and if, you know, uh, if, they, if they don't want to play pick up and they want to make sure they're actually working on something, you know, that I, anything that is, you know, small-sided with something taken away, as, like for games, is, is great. Um, so split the court in half and say that, that half is – out of bounds and we've got to play on this side and don't just check the ball up at the top of the key, check it up in the corner so that you're used to getting pressure in the, in the corner, like off of a pass and it's like different stuff like that. So I think those are more tangible and it's actually, um, I know I kind of rambled a little bit, but that's kind of, 
Um, that, that, I think that that's more valuable to work on than just telling a kid you need to work on like, Oh, you need to get your shots up or you need to get bigger or you need to get faster. Or you need to get like, that's all great. But like you can tell that to any freshman who's 15 years old and they're probably all going to get faster and stronger because they're naturally just going to grow. So let's give them like actual, you know, tangible stuff that they could use and that they can go do and have fun with. Um, and I think it's also for me, I, I want to make sure it's something that kids who don't have the resources that other kids have, they can also do. Um, and because some kids don't have the resources to go to, to basketball camp during the summer, they don't have the resources to pay for a trainer one-on-one or pay for a gym membership. So what can we give kids that they'll have access to and that they can kind of, you know, do on their own without having to, you know, spend money. No, yeah, I, I like that a lot. I like the idea, especially if, if players can just, you know, go out to the park too and just, just compete out that way. I think there's so much value in that, just going out there. And, you know, like we talked about, there's things you can do in a one-on-o setting, but is that is that game-like? Is that competitive? Is that like really simulating what you're actually going to do? Um, and any reps that, that can do that, especially if it is just going outside and, and going to play because cost is uh, pretty cheap for that. So uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, do you want your players uh, looking at, at their own game film and trying to like grow from that? And if so, like how much time do you want them spending at like looking at their own film and trying to make adjustments and improvements off that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, I think it's very important for kids to watch themselves. Now, what I will say is I, I don't think there's a lot of value in, uh, and, and we do it and like, we do it at prep, but I don't think there's a lot of value in sitting the whole team down in a room and watching the game film of the night before, because let's be honest, the kids who played are watching them and the kids who didn't play, they're looking at the screen, but they're not paying attention because it's not them on the screen. So I think if we want to really dive into film and we want kids to enjoy the film, we need to tell them to watch themselves. And then we also need to give kids who aren't in the games opportunities to be able to watch themselves. So I think it's really important if you can to, to film practices, um, especially when you're going to scrimmage or go live, because there's the film that the kid can watch. Because um, I don't think it's fair to tell a kid who doesn't get into the game or only gets, you know, playing time here or there, um, you know, to expect them to watch the whole film. Like what they're not. And, and I, don't, I don't know. I guess you could learn a lot from watching like other players. Definitely. And I'm not trying to say like you shouldn't watch other players. But I think we're expecting a lot out of a 15 or 16 year old to watch one of their best friends play when they just sat on the bench and watched them play again. So let's give them an opportunity to watch themselves. And when they are watching themselves, let, let's give them something to actually do while they're watching it. Don't just say, hey, Jake, go watch, um, you know, go watch the film last night and pay attention to like when you were in the game. It's like, OK, well, he's going to maybe go put it on and then put the PlayStation on and play while it's on, you know, and not really pay attention. So one of the things that, that I like to do is, um, you know, we have like a little Google sheet that I'll give kids when they're watching film and they'll have like a rating system. So they'll rate themselves, their performance, they'll rate the team's performance on offense and defense. And then there's like two, um, there's two questions, short answer questions where they have to actually type in the timestamp of two really good offensive possessions and two really good defensive possessions. I like that. And so, A, that tells me that they're, you know, tells us that they're actually watching the film uh, and not just letting it play while they're doing something else. And I also think it, it you know, it'll, 
it gives them like feedback. It's something that I would really love to try. And, you know, after COVID, like if we can, um, I, I to, to have like the kids lead the, the film sessions, um, you know, with using the Google Sheets, like here's your Google Sheet. All right, show us the four clips you got and explain why you, you picked those and why they were good. Uh, and again, it's, that's that's tying it right back to like making kids good to great. Like that's another way of, of getting them to, you know, become smarter basketball players is actually being able to, you know, not just watching the film and saying, oh, that was, that was good. Like, okay, it was good. Explain why it was good. Why was it, why did you pick that, you know, out of the whole game? Why did you pick that one as good? And then let them elaborate on it. Yeah, it's, I think it's a lot more focused uh, on that point. I like the idea of them having to explain what made that particular play great. Because I think as a coach, and you can speak to this, I think it kind of gives you a lot of insight as to like what your players think like constitutes like good or when something is executed well, because hopefully most of the time um, that what they think is good is also what you think is good. But um, it kind of probably helps you kind of get inside their mind and what they're thinking of too, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you explain why and ask why is, is, is a lot is something I say all the time. And, and I think, again, as coaches, we, we kind of, I think a lot of coaches would think if, if a kid, if you explain something in film or in practice and a kid asks, well, why? I think a lot of coaches are like, well, this kid's being a jerk or this kid's being disrespectful. It's like, no, like that's, there's your learning opportunity. Like this kid wants to know why we're doing something. So it's sure. like, don't just brush that off. Right. Like let, that kid just listened to you, heard what you said, and then said, and then wants to know more about what you just said and why you want them to do that. And it's like, that's awesome because that just means that they're more bought in. So if they can do that in a film session and say, uh, here's like a really good example of us running, you know, this play and something that we worked on in practice was, was making sure that we look for the back door. And, um, you know, Billy did a really good job of setting up the back door and, and cutting off of it. And it was a really good pass and really good execution. And that's why I chose it. And so it's like they're tying in everything and, um, you know, from practice, from the game and from what you're saying, hopefully. And, and yeah. that's where like the real learning is, is, is going on. And that's where you can know if they're getting it. You know, if a kid goes up there and mutters through it or stutters through it, maybe because he's nervous, but maybe, you know, he's having trouble figuring out the why and so that's somebody that you have to kind of maybe focus a little bit more on and make sure that they're understanding you know what what you're doing and the why of why you're doing it yeah that's it's such useful information as a coach and I think that when we ever if we ever shut down a kid when they ask why that'll be the last time they ever ask why and yep. then we lose them and then they if they don't get something they're not going to ask and then we're yeah. going to get more upset at them. <laughs> and then it's like this vicious cycle where just because we shut them down that first time, now they don't feel like they are allowed to ask questions anymore. And, and I don't think we want to build environments that are like that at all. Um, definitely not. No. And then, or, or we make, you know, I've made the mistake of, uh, I made the mistake of, of like, yell, like stopping a play and saying like, why'd you do that? And putting them on the spot. And it's like, that just like makes them nervous. It's like, why wouldn't you, if, if something happens and, and you stop the play, don't say, don't ask them, why did you do that? Because they might not know why they did. Like, ask, all right, what did you see there? Like, what, what happened on that play? And then if they don't, if they, like, and make sure that, and this is, again, like the relationship part of it, but making sure that they're, you're not trying to embarrass them. You're not trying to put them on the spot. 
you're trying to get a deeper understanding of, of what, what they do on the floor so that you can help them. And so I think that that's something that is extremely valuable too, is, is asking them why, but asking it in the way where they don't feel threatened. They don't feel like you're trying to embarrass them or that they're in trouble, but that you're trying to figure out what they see. And if they say like, I don't know, then you, then you know that that kid, where that kid is on like that scale of their understanding of whatever skill you're working on. If they say, I don't know, then that means, all right, well, we need to, maybe that kid needs to go back to the, the fixed portion of that, of those methods where if he's making a mistake, we got to show him what he, what he needs to do so that he can learn. Whereas if a kid, if you ask a kid, why do you do that? Oh, well, I saw this happen and this happened. If they have an, an answer, even if it's the wrong answer, it means they're thinking. So they're on the right track. They're doing something and they're trying to work their way towards, you know, answering the question the right way and, and making the right read or doing whatever the skill is. So that's great. Yeah. And, and I know a shift for me that I've, and it's, it's been hard. I've really had to work on it is if a kid says, I don't know, in a way I put a lot of that on me. Like, okay, if you don't know this, what did I not do? Like, what did, what is there something I didn't do that made it like clear enough for, for you personally as a player to understand what was going on? Because I think it's so easy, you know, to just assume that, they weren't paying attention or there's not bought in or whatever, but part of it might be like me as a coach, maybe I just didn't communicate to you effectively. And if you don't know something like what can I personally do as a coach to help with your level of understanding? And it's hard. I know it's been hard for me to do that, <laughs> to, to put it back on me, but um, no, I, I like the idea of saying like, what did you see there? Because it sounds a lot more um, useful, I think, rather than like aggressive <laughs> to, to word it that way, at least from the way I, I look. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, um, it's it's, a, it's like it's it's a caring talk, I guess. Is what you yeah, yeah, is. yeah. Trying you care about what they what they're yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Uh, let's talk about mental toughness here, kind of like the mental standpoint. I think one of the things we really will on our players, we really want them to do in order to elevate to that next level, is to is to mentally be be kind of tough enough, for a lack of a better term, whether they're going for like a shooting slump or whether there's, you know, things just aren't breaking their way or going that way. Are there things that you as a coach either intentionally do or conversations that you have, you know, when your players are, are maybe needing to uh, strengthen their their mental or emotional toughness on or off the court? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, there's definitely, you know, in, in there's definitely things as coaches that we can do to like kind of prepare them, um, you know, d during practice, whether it's, you know, making bad calls, making the wrong calls on purpose, uh, when they're like, especially in like the competitions, you know, if, if I have kids who, who are very emotional, and I think that they need to work on their how they react in situations, whether it's positive or negative, you know, I'll purposely call a travel or I'll purposely like, call something when they have the ball just to see how they respond. And then I don't correct it. I, it's up to one of their teammates. And I'll say something like, if a kid's standing next to me and I know so-and-so gets, you know, a little heated if something negative goes goes wrong with him, I'll turn to the kid and just say, all right, I'm about to make a bad call on him. Let's see how he reacts. And so I'll make the bad call. And, we'll, and you know, if it's a negative reaction, I, my hope, well, A, my hope is the kid doesn't negatively react. Negatively react. But if he does, my hope is that his teammate's going to step up and say, hey, no, we got just kill, chill, 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 calm down. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. And they pick each other up because again, my biggest thing is I'm not, I'm not on the court. So I mm -hmm. can't help you in that situation. And if I don't have any timeouts, I definitely can't help you in that situation. So I need to rely on the other people in the gym, the ones that are on the floor to help you with that mental toughness. And so 
that we do that. I think the, the biggest, another thing, and it's really hard to get young players to do is, is huddle up on everything. And it's not like we say like huddle, huddle, huddle. That's great. But what's actually happening like in the huddle? Like, are they just putting their arms around them and everyone's looking at each other awkwardly and nothing's said, nothing's done. And they just walk away because that's not like, it looks great from everyone in the crowd. Like, Oh, wow. They're, they're like locked in, but we need to make sure that the huddle is actually like doing something. So yeah. I'll have a drill. I actually have a drill where it's called huddle where it's, it's rapid fire, uh, like five on five half court offense versus half court defense. They have to huddle up after every possession. They have to call out a play. Um, they have to say, you know, what read they're looking for. And they have to call out maybe one of the players like, all right, like this play is for you. We're trying to get you the ball here and score here. And then, they'll, and then they have to go do it. And then if they didn't do it, they got to come back and figure out, you know, if it wasn't successful, then they got to do it again and try to figure out why and fix it on their own. Like, and I won't say anything. I, I just stand there and I keep, keep score, let the clock run. I'll call fouls and stuff like that but it, that's, it's up to them to figure out like what to do. And, and there'll be times where the whole seven minutes, they might be stuck on one thing and they've got to get through it. If no one's going to stop them, no, like I'm not going to stop the drill and say, relax. And, and I let, and I think the other thing is letting, letting the emotions boil over in practice because that's the controllable state that we have as coaches. Mm. That's where we want, if, if there's going to be a boil over, that's where we want it to happen because it's not going to affect the outcome of the game. It's not going to affect anything like that. And it's in-house. And so I always joke with, I joke with my team. I'm like, just think of it this way. I was like, if there's an argument going on in your family, most likely you want that argument to be happening like in the house so that nobody else hears it or sees it or, 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 you know, knows what's going on. But if you have your argument in your front yard, all of your neighbors know your business now, all of them know that. So I was like, we, for us, if like we're going to have a mental breakdown, it needs to be – we want it to happen in practice because then we're the only ones who know that it happens. Because if it happens in the game, now we know, the other team knows, the other fans know, the refs know, everything. Yeah. And so then there's so many things that are out of our control. So I always say that, let, let, and let it boil over because that's where you want it to boil over. Don't stop it before it boils over because then if you stop it before you boil over, there's no – again, there's no learning. You just stopped it, and it's something that's not going to happen during a game. And so let it play out. And then after it's done and everything's settled, evaluate the situation with the kid. Because there's also, you know, and I've had this experience as a teacher, there's no learning that's going to happen when the emotions are that high, either with the coach or with the player. Because it's just, it's either going to be yelling back and forth or just high testosterone, everything's going crazy. Let it happen sit for five minutes and then go and talk to the kid. And then you're going to have like a learning moment. And it's not, Hey, you shouldn't do that. That's not good. We, we don't again. Hey, why'd you react that way? What happened? Yeah. What's, like what, what's going on in your head? Because again, then they can actually express to you and it might be something, maybe it's something you did and you didn't even know you did it. And it yeah. just like, True. that was the last, that was the last thing. And I've had kids say that like, I've, man, coach, you've been picking on me all practice every time I have the ball, like you call a, a travel or blah, 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 blah. I mean, you're getting on my nerves. And I was like, all right, all right. I was doing that on purpose. That's my bad. I might have done it too many times. I was like, I'm trying to teach you a lesson here. Do you understand that? I understand it. It's just annoying. Okay. Well, let, let's, let's refocus now. All right. I'm not going to do that anymore today. I'm not going to promise I'm not going to do it ever again. But I'm not going to do it anymore today because I realize that it's, if you're in a frustrated state. Let's move on. Let's get better. And then we'll, we'll talk about it after practice. 
No, that's, that's really interesting. I've never really thought about it that way about the idea of like, you know, letting things blow over in practice. Cause that's kind of the controlled environment. I, I think everyone would rather have it happen there than in, on the court in the middle of a game. But, uh, that takes a lot. I, I imagine it takes a lot of buy-in, a lot of trust, though, and 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 you know your players gotta trust you and and believe in you that you have their best interest in mind. They gotta believe in each other. But once you get to that point where you can do that and you know let it out like that and uh, still be able to you know hug each other at the end of practice or the next day or whatever the case may be, I think that's uh, I think that's awesome. And then I says the last parts of that before we hit our. A concluding segment when it comes to like leadership are you looking for you know leadership to really come in those opportunities from anyone who wants to step up are there certain players you've kind of earmarked and you say like hey my expectation is you you know your expectation is to you know be taking charge or taking more of a leadership in, in these type of situations how do you kind of determine like I guess leadership and, and kind of growing that yeah um I think for, for me, like for, for JV practices and then especially in AAU when kids are playing with kids they don't even really know, uh, especially at the start of the of the season, I think it's really important to I, – I do something where, like, I have um, I have practice captains and they rotate. Yeah. So okay. um, that day it's like this, this kid is the captain for this team and this kid's the captain for this team and everything that we do. And what that, what that means is – and it's not for every single drill, but what that means is that – Everyone has to listen to whatever that kid, even if that kid's wrong, even if like we're doing something and the kid says, all right, we're going to play or, you know, we're going to switch the ball screens on this next play. Even if you know he's wrong, you have to shut up and listen and you have to do it because it's that, that kid's opportunity to be a leader and to, because if you correct him, he's never going to speak up the rest of the, of the rest of the time. And mm -hmm. I, and so it's a teaching moment too, and it's, but it's, it's like what, I always tell them it's like the quietest person in the room usually is the one that's like the smartest or has the best ideas. They just, they're soaking everything in, right. Or they're, you know, maybe they're shy and they don't want to say anything. I was like, how bad would it be if one of your teammates has a really great idea and has like really high potential and they just need a platform for them to like be able to speak upon it and have the encouragement to do so. And I was like, how bad would you feel if by telling that kid, no, you're wrong. We're not doing that, that you shut that down, not just for like, the practice but maybe for like that kid's whole high school career or maybe like hopefully not his whole life but you like you don't understand you don't want to do that so like if that kid is the captain he's going to talk you're going to listen and sometimes you know kids embrace it sometimes they're just really really shy and they, and they don't do it and you have to kind of pull it out of them but it's not me doing the pulling out which is which is my hope is if we have the really quiet kid as the captain you know, the act, the, the leader who's like the natural leader in the huddle is going to be like, hey, all right, what are we doing? What are we doing here? And mm -hmm. then that kind of opens the door for the conversation. And and so that's like one of the things we do, especially, you know, at the, the JV level when the kids are younger. And then with AU, it's very important because yeah. these kids don't play with each other, you know, at all. They might not even know each other. And so it, it's important not just for them as a team and for like the, the team standpoint, but it's a life lesson. It's important for them to be able to carry that on and work with other kids who are different. And I think it really helps build that, that bond um, and that like competitive spirit and that family and that trust atmosphere, especially at the AAU level, because that's really what you want. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And, and that's really well put. And 
you know, I, I really like the idea of empowering uh, your players, especially those ones who are on, more on the quieter side, because uh, like you said, they're the ones kind of soaking everything in. And uh, if you just give them a platform, like you said, you'll be surprised and their players and their teammates will be surprised at, you know, how much they have to contribute themselves. So uh, I like that you mentioned that for sure. Awesome. Uh, Coach, to wrap up, there's a couple questions that I ask every guest, uh, starting with this first one. What is a coaching moment from your coaching career that you think others listening would be able to learn from? That's a good one. Um, so I would, I have a, I have a couple uh, that, I, that I could think of off the top of my head, but I, I would say um, I'll go to this season and, and this was, it's not a negative thing for, for uh, it was, but it was a really positive learning experience. I had a, we had a kid who I was just like constantly on, you know, all the time about with the effort, a very skilled player, um, like really high potential, but just like the, I, I felt like the motor wasn't there. The motivation wasn't there. I, I had a really hard time like connecting. I had a really hard time, you know, trying to get him to buy in to like everything and, and to buy in with the team, to buy in with the competition and stuff. And, it was like, it was, it, it was frustrating for me. I'm, and I'm sure I know it was like frustrating for the kid. And then when we had our end of the year meetings, we had a conversation, you know, uh, about you know, the season or whatever. And I didn't realize why I knew that the kid had an injury prior to the season. And he started talking about how, you know, it, he just is constantly worrying about re-injuring himself mm. and, and, and like having the injury come back. And he, he like said that, and it, it honestly it was kind of it was like a gut punch to me in, in the meeting because I was like, I didn't even think of that, like I and I didn't even think to to ask the kid about like the the you know the injury because it was all the way from the prior season and it, yeah. uh, and stuff and and he came in and he was playing right away so for me you know I, I just kind of thought he was fine. and I, it really opened my eyes to like the mental health aspect of it and like how serious something like that can like really get into someone's head. Um, and they were saying how like, it, it affected the way, how much effort they put in, the way they kind of came to, you know, came every day to practice. They would, you know, for me, I, we'd, you know, we'd start practice and we're in the first drill and, you know, the kids on the sidelines stretching for 10 more minutes and I'd go over to the assistant and go, there we go, there we go, not in the drill again, not in the drill, doesn't want to do it. And, here, and then at the end, of the, I'm like, wow, like he was just really worried about it. And here I am, like, making a big deal out of it, you know, and, and, and not checking in. And so, for me, that was really eye-opening. Um, it, it was a really eye-opening experience, and it definitely gave me a piece of, uh, of humble pie, uh, realizing that, like, I need to make sure that, you know, if, if I am struggling with, like, that connection or if any coach is struggling with the connection, you know, try to dig a little bit deeper. And if, and if you can't, like, maybe reach out to somebody else. Um, and, and see, because I wish I, if, if I had known, you know, practice number two, that that was going on, though, the way the relationship was built probably would have been a lot different. And, and so that was something that I made, you know, I made a mistake on and, and I'm glad I, I, I'm sad that I did it, but I'm glad that it happened because it definitely is going to help, you know, later on with, you know, um, if that comes up again or just in general. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing it because sometimes those, those times of growth or repairing those relationships does take a kind of a gut punch or, you know, a real, real slap in the face there that that's pretty tough to, to swallow. But uh, I'm, I'm glad that that's something you shared because I think it is really important that, you know, as coaches, we 
really examine, you know, relationships we have with our players. And if it's not going well, you know, we have to be able to open ourselves up to, you know, hearing some honest truths perhaps about, you know, where the relationship kind of fell apart and uh, things that we can grow from. So I appreciate that you shared that. And go ahead. And uh, the last, not to interrupt you, but the last thing I would say is, is, is definitely to, to, you know, swallow that piece of humble pie and like, and, and also acknowledge that you made that mistake and apologize. Yeah. Cause that was something that I did, that I did, uh, that I thought was really important, you know, moving forward because we, you know, everyone's human. We're all going to make mistakes, but you, you know, just because I'm the coach and the kid, the kid doesn't mean that I should just be like, oh, I made a mistake, but I don't need to apologize to the kid. You know, I'm the adult here. It's like, no, I, I, you know, apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, I didn't even think of that. I should have, this is what I should have done. And, and I'm hoping that that, is the foundation of like the next chapter of like our relationship mm -hmm. um, going forward. And so, um, yeah. No, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you put that. I'm glad you said that part because I I'm fortunate enough to work with a lot of teacher candidates, especially those in college. And, and one of the things I try to tell them is that it's okay to apologize. And a lot of kids don't hear adults apologize. And I think it's really good to model that so that they become adults that will know that it's okay to apologize, especially to, you know, kids or, or teenagers. Um, and, and it's, it's really helpful and, and kids will forgive you. And I think they'll have a lot more respect for you if you uh, do give that sincere apology. So no, thank you for bringing that point up coach. And to wrap up, I give every guest what I call a 60-second soapbox. Uh, it's your platform to give out your final thought, your closing message, your closing idea that you want to leave the listeners with, Coach. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor, and you can go and take it away. All right. Well, I don't, I don't believe I, I know nearly anything at all, but I, what I will say, and this is just because it's, it's going on right now, is if you are an AAU coach, it doesn't matter the level. It doesn't matter – Girls, boys, please play man-to-man -man defense. Please run some type of four-out or five-out motion offense and stick to those guns. Do not spend the three hours or five hours you have of practice implementing the flex offense, implementing some sets, all these different sets, and then sit in the 2-3 zone because it's not going to help anybody. And AAU was founded to help kids develop and go to college. It was not founded to win every single weekend and win championships and AAU records do not go on resumes. That's all I got. I'm going to just leave it right there because there's nothing I can add to that. So well said. Uh, Coach Hickey, I want to thank you for, for spending some time sharing some knowledge about getting good players to great basketball, your practice plans, drills that you do, all that good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff in that conversation. So Best of luck going forward. It looks like we're, fingers crossed, knock on wood, uh, getting through all the, all the COVID stuff. So hopefully you have a uh, nice normal season and get back in the swing of things next year. Thanks a lot, Coach. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Coach. I appreciate it. And thank you to all of you who are listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.